0: And now there's, the, there's a PGA Tour 2K1. Uh, t- why did I say 2K1? What the heck year is it? 2K21. Uh, God, I'm old.
1: Hey there. Welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is August 11th, 2020, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor at 5:38. Joining me, not in New York City, but in fact, in Pennsylvania, is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hey, Neil.
0: Hey, Sarah. How are you?
1: good. How's Pennsylvania treating you?
0: It's it's good so far. You know, I saw grass, I saw trees, I saw all kinds of things that um, I suppose technically I could see in New York, but um, I'm just not (laughs) interested in going to the places that have them. So it's been
1: nice. Right. I appreciate that both of you guys have called in to the podcast from vacation that is dedication to hot takedown and i love it
0: are we both doing it right now or jeff did it a few weeks ago i don't know i did it last week i don't remember We oh, did it last yeah. week okay
1: <laughs> jeff not on vacation but still in los angeles hey jeff how's it going
2: hello sarah hello neil Hey, Does this mean you're, now, this means you have to call in on vacation. So you can't be too happy about that.
1: <laughs> no, I'm. Are you kidding me? When I go on vacation, I'm out. You guys, can I do know. Friends you're, not for it. you're
2: not doing
1: that. <laughs> I don't even know.
0: Frankly, don't even know why we did it.
1: To no, honest. I'm actually confused, but I love it and I appreciate it. <laughs> I heard we
0: were talking about baseball. So it's like, I can't miss this.
1: No, yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk first about um golf for Jeff. So there was a major. This weekend. Yeah. Look at that. Colin Marikawa winning the PGA He's championship. Good.
2: He's good. I mean, if he learns how to putt, watch out, folks.
1: I like these young and up and comers in golf. Uh, Daniel Berger, another favor, favorite. Love these guys. They're so much fun. I,
2: I got to say, this was the first time I noticed and actually sort of didn't like the lack of a, a gallery when he hit that um, that ridiculous drive that set up the Eagle on the par four it was just like you could hear a pin or you maybe heard like one like sound guy cheering. It was just kind of sad because <laughs> the crowd, that would have been a roar. It, yeah, That would have been a roar from the gallery normally. And it was just like that one element of major golf excitement was, was definitely missing.
0: Yeah. That felt weird, which is odd because golf is the sport that we think of as sort of actively discouraging crowd noise the most out of all of them. Uh, so you wouldn't think it would be that uh, different from what they're going for but yeah especially on that shot I noticed the same thing so I mean god to drive the green on a par 4 and then uh <laughs> make the putt yeah. and it was just like a light applause like it was really yeah. the definition like one of
1: we <laughs> should pipe in crowd noise just for that like yeah. you know if you get it oh, if you drive the green we're, we'll play some we'll grab the the baseball fake crowd noise and type so by that, that
2: logic do they pipe it actually in to the uh to the so that we can have that thing where the players, like who the guy who's putting, hears the cheer somewhere.
1: Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Right. that's great. That's, that's yeah, you should know
2: or just the for the broadcast. Obviously, my first option, but <laughs> since we're talking hypotheticals,
1: no, I think do it all go big or go home. Always, all right. On today's show, we'll talk about the new developments in college football's ongoing dilemma over whether to play this fall. We'll take a closer look at the Major League Baseball teams that have over and underperformed and discuss why our model still hasn't budged that much. And finally, we'll have a special guest join us to take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. As is tradition here on Hot Takedown, it appears there may be big news today after we've finished recording this episode. University presidents of the Big Ten Conference are expected to vote formally today on whether the schools will play football this fall. And Pac-12 presidents also have a meeting today. Sources reported over the weekend that both conferences would cancel their seasons, though no final determinations had been made. The ACC, SEC, and Big 12 seem to still be on the fence, but the outlook doesn't look particularly rosy. Conferences are weighing their decisions, even as players are releasing statements and videos using the hashtag WeWantToPlay. They're also getting more organized. A group of players put out a statement expressing their desire for, among other things, uniform health and safety protocols, guaranteed eligibility for players who opt out of the season, and more of a voice for players in the decision-making process. Players may want to play, but on ESPN's Get Up, Jalen Rose wasn't so sure they should want that.
3: But I don't anticipate the season taking place. And the reason why is if you're not going to put the players in a bubble and they're going to travel from city to city playing against one another, there are going to be multiple cases continuing to happen. Look at what's happening with Major League Baseball. The same thing is going to happen with the NFL. You cannot ignore science. But here's the difference. The professional players understand that there are millions of dollars at stake right now in my bank account. So therefore, I'm willing to take that risk. As a collegiate athlete that is not able to go to a campus and sit in a classroom, why would I put myself in a position for not only to catch the coronavirus, but the after effects that come with the coronavirus to play collegiate football when they're not gonna help me and they're not gonna guarantee my insurance in any way, shape or form. So I don't anticipate a collegiate football season being played.
1: We've been saying for a while now that it's going to be kind of impossible for college football to work in a pandemic, but what's interesting about this is how the players have been able to organize and attempt to insert themselves into the conversation here. How far do you think the players are going to get in their efforts, Neil? Do they have a shot at influencing the school leaders on allowing football to happen?
0: I'm not totally sure because it feels a little bit like it's too little too late. Uh, and maybe if they had organized on this um, even like a month ago and put out the list of, you know, demands about health conditions and all that, um, maybe even in conjunction with the, you know, the Pac-12 Players Coalition statement, um, which is what this kind of was part of also is kind of a, a, an outgrowth of that or a, a uniting of multiple movements of college players. But I feel like if they had been a little bit earlier on it, maybe they could have, shaped the conversation more but now it feels like uh, especially in the case of the Big 10 and the Pac-12 that you know barring something unexpected today and maybe you know the news will change and I'll uh, sound wrong here but it sounds like they have basically made up their minds toward or they're heavily leaning toward postponing the season and so I don't know how much influence that will have maybe it'll have more influence on at the other end of the spectrum with a conference like the SEC where it sounds like A lot of their members do want to play uh, and are a little bit miffed at the the Big Ten and the Pac-12 for sort of, you know, moving in the opposite direction. So I'm really curious as to what, you know, you combine the players with other schools within the Big Ten like Nebraska, where Scott Frost, the coach, had said like, hey, we're open to playing even if it's not in the big 10, we'll play anywhere. Um, and Iowa, I think also was opposed, um, to, to postponing the season that you could end up with factions trying to kind of move toward playing, uh, in combination with the conferences that, that are less, um, you know, willing to postpone the season and have like a weird hodgepodge come out of that. But I don't know if it will be college football as we know it, uh, as influenced by the players.
1: We're gonna get a a upping of the old original Missouri Valley, right? Which is like Iowa, Nebraska, Iowa State, and and Drake. I think, um, yeah, that's what we want. We want the old school. Hey, when
0: I said like I now. wanted to go back to conferences, I meant in the nine in the nineteen nineties, not the eighteen nineties.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I so the players demand for like uniform health procedures. A the players should not have to demand that. Yeah. B. That if those had been in place at the beginning of all of this, I I feel like we would have had a much better shot at college football being played, right, Jeff?
2: Yeah, I think that's right. But it's kind of strange. I mean, cuz if you look at what the Big 10 is weighing and what they're looking at, it is health-based pretty much. And when I say health-based, health-based what I mean really is liability-based right. because they're, they're a little bit at risk here, a little bit. They're a lot at risk here, and, and I think that's what these uni, uh, university presidents are factoring in. The Big Ten identified five players who have this underlying heart inflammation, which could uh, is an after effect of having COVID, and I, I think they're legitimately concerned about this. And I think it, this worst-case scenario of something happening to a player when they had all these warning signs and blew right through the red lights and, and and played, that's a lot of exposure. That's a huge amount of liability for an amateur athlete.
1: Right. Well, so the line in the player statement says that their goal ultimately is to create a college football players association, which, right, like seems like that's something they need. Although I wonder, Jeff, if that runs the risk of if that is a thing yeah. that's scaring the university yeah. presidents right now um, and that might influence their decision against it.
2: I, I don't think that that is realistic enough that it would scare them. I mean, possibly. I think you yell union and that any sort of – anyone in management and, you know, in 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 the power brokers all start running. Um, so I think that probably would scare them. Um, but I, I just don't think it's feasible at this point. I mean – I mean, also, I don't know if it's feasible in general. I mean, these some of these guys are only there for three years. And how does that work? The way the revolving door system of college football works. And and and, and then what do you include? Do you include all of FBS? Do you include FCS, too? I mean, it it's very complicated. I mean, that was part of the sort of the underlying problem here is the it is the sheer number of college football players you have versus NFL players or or. NBA or NHL players just makes it a lot more complicated and we've already seen with the Mac gone that um, that's the first of the you know the other five what do we call them these days the group of five the The, other five
1: the other five like the The non-power five five. Uh, (laughs) those other ones (laughs) um,
2: and then the Mountain West also following suit I mean I, I think it's pretty safe to say that non-Power 5 college football is not happening this year. We we already have lost two, and I, I can't see the other conferences, um, especially if you have the Big Ten and the back 12 um, likely um, not playing as well.
0: But it is kind of an interesting play if you look at it. Um, uh, if you do want to create a college football players association, this would be the moment to do it, uh, especially if you can kind of appeal to maybe not the Big Ten, Leadership, but to the SEC, uh, who seem like they do want to play, uh, and and be like, okay, you want to play, we want to play. Here's here's our terms, you know, uh, of of how we're going to make this happen. And it's kind of the most leverage that, as as long as you're dealing with a group of um, colleges and administrators that do actually want to play college football, it's the most leverage that college players have had in a long time because basically they do. Hold some of the cards in this, uh, and and can kind of say based on health concerns, that's that's a winning issue with with public perception. I think for them, where if they were to say like you're you're making us play in a pandemic, we don't feel safe, and you're not paying us for it, most people would be on their side. I think in a way that's different than you know we saw some public sentiment against the baseball players because it was like you know you're making millions of dollars, you owe it to society to play baseball, you know, the, the mentality where the fans always side with the, with the owners in this case, it's like, well, the the money aspect is thrown out the window. So maybe you have a little bit more of a case to have the public be on your side.
1: Man. I saw, I saw people tweeting over the weekend at the players who were like the players saying we want to play and here are our conditions for that. People saying, Oh, this generation is so soft. And I'm like, they, (laughs) <laughs> they wanna play football in the for free. middle They
0: wanna play football for free pandemic. in a pandemic, but they're soft. I, so maybe I'm wrong I about just, that.
1: Thing. I can't I just can't. I don't I don't understand anyone and any people at all. Yeah, no, the one thing I was gonna add though is
2: that this is not a typical dynamic t- this is not a typical uh, pandemic American sports <laughs> dynamic. Like we've seen. Um <laughs> <laughs> that That's now a thing. No, because this isn't like Roger Goodell and a bunch of NFL owners. I mean, you do have university presidents who are making the decision and they're not necessarily as gung ho about sports as you might say, if it was, you know, conference commissioners or something like that, um, you know. They're also learned people. Most of them are like PhDs. Two of the big 10, I think it's Michigan and Michigan State, are physicians. So they are factoring in a lot of these things um, that you might not get. It's not just pure money.
1: It seems to cut both ways in this conversation. Like players can afford to walk away because they aren't getting paid, but they want to get paid in the future, which is making, I think, a lot of them want to play this year. I mean, you're who knows how the draft is going to work in the future, Um, but if you don't pay, if you don't play this year, your chances of getting paid by the NFL are likely lessened. Neil, are there, is there, is there a way that schools and conferences can deal with that can like, you know, keep the future careers of their student athletes in mind?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, they've talked about, um, from, from the school's perspective, they it sounds like a lot of the ones that are pushing to postpone want to play in the spring. And I guess the reasoning is that maybe we'll have a vaccine by then. You know, it'll be out of flu season at least. And, and maybe all of this will have receded um, to some extent or another. I don't know whether that's magical thinking or not, um, but it does seem like the spring is a better idea than, than the fall. Uh, and so they've talked about, you know, just, playing the season and basically if you're if you were going to be a senior in the fall this year you will still be a senior in the spring and you can kind of play Uh, they've also talked about extending eligibility which I think Makes a lot of sense too, and they've already kind of talked about. I, th- I think it happened for the the spring sports of this past year, uh, where you know if you're like a baseball player and your season got um, scrubbed because of the pandemic in the very beginning, then you would have you know eligibility extending into the next season, uh, and so that seems like an easy fix for this, uh, even if it might create. Kind of a logjam at the other end, Uh, and I think we talked about that at the time of figuring out what do you do with freshmen. I think from the players' perspective, you know, uh, the the it was interesting that Trevor Lawrence and and some other big name players were the ones that were kind of leading this charge uh, in the we want to play because Trevor Lawrence doesn't actually need a season to go really high in the NFL draft. I mean, he's he's a known quantity. It really more applies to the players that are in the lower Ranks of of college players, maybe they go to a smaller school, maybe they're in the group of five or, or even lower in the food chain than that, uh, and so there's not as much scouting focus or tape on them, and they need to kind of play their way in. We even saw that with the NFL draft, like this past one, where without um, full scouting capabilities, uh, NFL teams seem to default back toward the big schools a lot more in who they picked. And so I think that if you're sort of lower in the, in the ranks of college football players, you have every reason to want to play this season because you got to get attention on you somehow and, and kind of play your way into that conversation. Whereas if you're at Clemson, you're pretty much already known by scouts and they're going to draft you, you know, kind of no matter what.
2: I I think that's right. And I actually think, um, yeah, Trevor Lawrence is certainly um, an outlier and, even even among all of the college football ranks, there's a lot of these guys who are, this is has nothing to do about playing pro at all. They just want to play because this is what they've been doing their whole lives and working towards, and this is what they love. I mean, you know, if you take my niece, my niece plays a uh, high school high school soccer. She's a goalie. She's obsessed with it. If I and and this might be happening, I, I haven't seen her obviously, but um. It, Yeah, I don't know if her season's canceled, but if you would say her season's canceled, she'd be devastated because all she wants to do is play soccer and she practices all the time and she's been working towards this and there's a big year coming up. And I think they see it the same way. They want to play football because that's what they do.
1: I mean, I I think your point is well made, Jeff, that this is what, you know, this is what kids want to do. This is what they have been working for. But we all have something like that right now. Like this is this, you know, I wanted to travel this year that did not happen. <laughs> I mean, there's, there are things we have to of course. like live with. I mean, and, and I think there, there was a little bit to me of immaturity in these kids over the weekend with their, we want to play thing just because I, I get it. I understand that, but there are like, do you want to play so badly that you're going to put your teammate at risk that you're going to risk the life of your offensive lineman who maybe does have some comorbidities and could be more at risk for serious bad health outcomes. I mean, that's the thing we all have to weigh. And I don't think as a country we've weighed it very well. Um, But I, you know, I'm willing to give up some of my, what I wanted out of this year to keep other people safe. Right. And that's, that's what the whole, our whole country just hasn't done very well.
2: Yeah, and and a lot of that is messaging on this virus. There's a yeah. huge portion of this country who doesn't think it's a big deal, thinks it's overblown, thinks everyone's overreacting, and they have whole cable news networks, you know, supporting that. They have politicians supporting that, and and a lot of that is 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 being reflected right here in this debate. Well, and the overlap yeah.
0: between those people and college football, Fans, I think, also the the most rabid of college football fans is is worth noting. Also, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that the SEC is the conference that seems most right. resistant to postponing the season. Uh, and you know, the 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 nature the political leanings of that fan base are known. We'll just say. <laughs>
1: Okay, so assuming the Big Ten and the Big 12 do cancel their seasons, which, you know, we don't know that yet at this moment. Maybe we'll know by the time this podcast is out. Will the other Power Five conferences power forward, Jeff? Will they Will they try to go it alone or will they shut it down, do you think?
2: I think what Greg Sankey and the SEC is doing is, is smart, which seems to be just delaying a decision as long as possible. Obviously they have, you know, uh, they're the top of the sport, but they also have a very, a fan base that is not going to take this news so well if he does cancel this season. But I think if we go back to that liability question, all of a sudden that liability for the SEC or the ACC or the big 12 looks a lot worse when let's say something happens and then you have other major conferences on par with those conferences who canceled their seasons in the name of safety. I mean, now their exposure is really bad. So you can tell, you can see why the SEC is not too happy with what the Big Ten and the, and the Pac-12 are doing. And and they have, and it's been that way all along. They were they were pretty miffed when they said conference only before it was, you know, announced or anything like that was decided on the SEC or the ACC side. Um, so I think they won't be happy about it. I think they'll try to push it as long as possible. But I think ultimately, once one of these dominoes fall, they're just guessing, who knows here, they'll all fall.
0: I agree with you on that, Jeff. My prior is to expect that they'll all postpone uh if the Big Ten and the Pac-12 do it but I will say that we've seen some weird stuff in college football historically um I mean this is a sport that didn't have a proper championship game up until like the 90s and it was it was determined by who voted uh in various polls and if you go back to like even earlier than that, that sometimes there's like you know four different national champions in a given season based on the selectors, you know, uh, and, and all of those things. And so I think that there is at least some precedent in college football and maybe only college football to have like Nebraska break off from the big 10 join with like the, uh, some members of the sec and and the ACC or whatever, and create like a weird, uh, you know, fake season and, and, declare a champion off of that. I'm, I, I don't think the odds of that would be high. Uh, and maybe I'm rooting for it. Cause I think it's weird. And I like weird things <laughs> in, in sports, but um, at least there is some like precedent of college football, just like doing a weird hodgepodge arrangement and just being like, yep, that's it. This is official. This is our champion, you know?
2: Yeah. And let's be honest. That champion will probably be the best team in college football regardless. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, we should know more about what happens with college football today at some point, we think. Um, and, you know, in the in the next week, we probably will know a lot more. But yeah, I think we can leave this here for now and um, continue talking about it as the countdown goes on toward the season. Let's take a quick break and then we'll talk baseball. But first, Hot Takedown is brought to you this week by DraftKings. Now is the time to celebrate. Football is finally back, and DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, has millions of reasons why you should be excited. To kick off the football season, DraftKings is giving new users a free shot at a $1 million top prize, with a total of $3 million up for grabs for this Thursday's football contest. Getting in on Thursday night's single-game showdown is easy. All you have to do is download DraftKings using promo code HOTTAKE. Draft six players from the season opener, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Plus, new users who sign up today on DraftKings using code HOTTAKE will receive a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game like having a shot at a million-dollar payday. So download the DraftKings app now and use code HOTTAKE For a limited time, new users can get a free shot at the $1 million top prize and $3 million in total prizes. Don't miss this extra special week one bonus. Enter code HOTTAKE to get a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. Again, that's code HOTTAKE only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. We are now almost three weeks into MLB's shortened season, which means we're in the thick of the pennant race, exactly where we would be in a normal August.
2: The Cardinals have played five games. Yeah.
1: (laughs) No, exactly. Uh, Most teams have only played between 12 and 16 games, and some, like the St. Louis Cardinals, will be playing seven inning doubleheaders basically the rest of the season when they start playing, that is. This season is unambiguously and categorically weird, as Zach Cram laid out on the Ringer's MLB show podcast.
4: Baseball is very traditionalist and very set in its ways, and that's something that, you know, ordinarily I like about it. But this is uh, a chance to to evaluate, uh, you know, what are we doing just because it's the way things have always been done. And so, yeah, I you know i am not i don't think anybody in their right mind is gonna stamp their feet about the the legitimacy of of this season because it's already so weird and and it's yeah you know, i i but m o b changing the the roster rules or the schedule on the fly i think you just have to be that fluid uh you have to be that nimble in order to have any chance of getting this done so you know maybe that um that creativity's probably not the right word but uh but that attitude will, will continue going forward.
1: One aspect of that weirdness and and fluidity that we wanted to talk about is how we should think about teams' successes and failures this year. Even though we're less than three weeks into the season, we're also less than three weeks away from the trade deadline. Neil, how is our model dealing with the short season? Has it adjusted to the fact that the Tigers are Nine and five and the Marlins are seven and three. I mean, it's
0: dealing with it uh, in the sense that we have the 60 game season in our simulations. And that's kind of what determines who makes the playoffs and who wins the World Series. Now, if we're talking about the actual team ratings uh, that we have that estimated teams talent, they're probably moving at a very slow pace compared with what you might expect if you looked at the the order of the standings. So, for instance, the team that gained the most, two teams that have gained the most, are the Orioles and the Rockies since opening day, followed by the Tigers. And uh, of those three teams, we still think Baltimore and Detroit are, I think, the two, uh, they're two of the three worst teams in baseball. We still think Baltimore is the worst team in baseball by a mile. Um, we think that Colorado has now become an average team uh, after starting the season uh, red hot. let's uh, let me vamp while I look at the record. They're eleven and five right now, <laughs> uh, and yet we still only think they're an average team. Uh, but I mean, you know when you're when you're building a model that's trying to predict things going forward and trying to adjust um you know our priors for how good we thought each team was based on results that we've seen so far you're not going to just just because every game in this season is worth 2.7 games in a 162 game season doesn't mean we're going to adjust the pace at which we change and update our ratings for each team that's uh, that's not how it works you know so we still think right. that the teams even if they happen to get out to a hot start it would be the equivalent of it being like mid to late april and, uh, you know, and, and we would look at the Tigers and we'd look at the Orioles and be like, huh, oh, they're off to a good start. That probably won't last. The, the way in which it is being reflected, though, differently is that now all of a sudden, even though we think that the Tigers, I think in particular, are one of the worst teams in baseball, we give them a 35 percent chance of making the playoffs, which is higher than a lot of teams that on paper are pr- almost certainly better than them. Like, look at the, the Angels started 6-11, and 11, uh, but we still think that they have a lot more talent than the Tigers do, but we only give them a 26% chance of making the playoffs even in this expanded field. So that's the way in which things would change. The Orioles have a 10% chance of making the playoffs, and we think that they're far and away the worst team in baseball. So, you know, that, that is the way that it would filter down because each of those games counts as essentially almost three times as much as it would in a normal season.
2: There's also a lot of weird schedule factors here. I mean, you look at who the Tigers have played. They've played, like, the Reds twice. They've played the Royals. Like, they have not played the Twins. They haven't played the Indians. And they have a lot of games of the Twins and the Indians. They have games against the Cubs. So it, it, the
0: schedule has been strong. Now, we
1: do t- Hey, the Royals well, are a tough opponent. Yeah, we do.
0: Yeah, the Royals. we got to watch out for Jorge Solera in those uh, multi-home run games. But – we we do take into account strength of schedule, at least. And in fact, strength of opposing pitcher uh, in particular is kind of factored in there. So that's not even, uh, you know, counting like why we've been so slow to update these things. Uh, we're probably slower to update because we're unimpressed with some of the opponents that they've beaten, all things considered.
1: All right. Well, so... We haven't done this for a while. We haven't done it in 2020 at all, so it is time. Let's do a draft. Let's draft our World Series teams. So we'll draft the teams that we think are most likely to win it all. We'll do a snake draft. Our producer, Sarah Shackett, has randomly assigned the first pick. We'll move in alphabetical order through the first round, and then the order will be reversed through the next round, so on, so on. Um, The first pick goes to Jeff. Wow. This is rigged. Wow. This is already rigged. Wow.
2: You know, I'm going to gamble that I think because you guys are so passionately um against the yankees that you m- they might make it back they might make it back you guys might might not uh you know you might let wow. your biases in- affect you uh, anyway i mean I'm, I'm in the uh,
1: picking you know, the yankees really I'm going a, out on the line i'm there. a
2: stone's throw from dodger <laughs> stadium right now so i'm gonna take the dodgers
1: oh that, what? Was, a that was a head fake with the yeah. yankees that was that i'm
2: complaining that they come back because i don't think neil has the has the wherewithal to take
0: them oh
1: god
2: uh,
0: you really have put me in a bind here um but you should have known that uh, my love he likes chalk. my love for chalk outweighs uh my my animosity toward uh the new york yankees so i will take them with the second overall pick and hope that stanton comes back healthy and judge keeps bombing and uh yeah go yankees that's how much i like chalk second overall pick <laughs>
1: Wow. Um, this is really terrible. Well, This, this is, is perfect, perfect for you, for you Sarah. For. Well, right. Obviously, with my third pick, I'm picking the Twins. Um, that was okay. easy. We it's, already had it, it written down. No, that was, that, was all, that was preordained, unless Neil randomly grabbed them. Um, but now I'm in a bind, because do I take a team that has looked hot this, this year so far, or do I take a team that are model-likes over the long haul? And I'm honestly not sure what I should well, do. Well, one of those teams I guess I
0: presumably is it. a team that you've thrown your full throated support behind in the past, uh, despite their scandals, I'm assuming.
1: I mean, obviously I am pro cheating. We all know this. <laughs> um, all right, okay, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the model. This is a very this is a very neil pick. I'm gonna go with the Astros. You're
0: taking the Astros. Okay. So you took the Taking the Wins and the Astros. That was your sandwich pick just then. Um, okay, I'm going to take the Oakland A's. I'm going Moneyball here. Uh, see,
1: that's that—that that was what I was struggling with: whether I should take the Astros or the A's. Yeah, good pick. Good pick. Good pick.
0: The value pick.
1: It's interesting. <laughs> uh,
2: I'm the only person who's taken a National League team. Um,
1: oh so... yeah, for a second I was like, wait, the Astros? No, they're not in the National. It's League. It's not. So I, have <laughs> I, know. I have an opportunity here to just put a
2: stranglehold on the on the National League. On the league that's going to lose the World Series? Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but they also are the best teams remaining. Uh, okay, I got to get an American League team. I'm going to take the Cleveland Indians. Ooh. Not the greatest of starts, but I still think, you know, in terms of roster talent.
0: Oh, but Jeff, did you um, see the thing with Clevenger and Plesack over the weekend? They Plesak. may not play a game. Like, they may be shut down for weeks.
2: I, I did see that. Um, it's not factored into my decision-making, <laughs> which could be an oversight. They still have the <laughs> Biebs. The Beebs wasn't in that group. Right? No, he wasn't. That's good. <laughs> That's good. They should punish those guys. And, um, I'm going, uh, another, uh, NL West team here, another Southern California team that I'm into this year. I think Fernando Tatis Jr. is probably the most exciting player in the league right now. Have you watched that guy play? Best and, player by uh, war. On, he's, he's he's awesome. My he's team. awesome. And his dad hit two grand slams in a single inning. I'm taking the pod here. I'm into the pods this year. I think they're good. I,
1: I do enjoy that you are ignoring the 538 model. I love that. This is a very on-brand draft so far. <laughs> oh, like yeah. it. it has to be. It has to
0: be. <laughs> okay. So it's my turn again. Um, it is. And so... Uh, I'm going to take the defending chance. I'm going to take the Washington Nationals. They, they had a little bit of a slow start also five and seven so far, but I still think they're one of the best teams on paper. I want to get that, that natitude.
1: <laughs> nice. Got to go with the natitude. All right. Um, then I'm going to take, I can't believe that this team has fallen to me. I love it. I'm going to take the, the raise. I knew
2: you were going to do that. Yeah. That was my yeah. sleeper pick before the season. and.
1: And you didn't, didn't didn't stick with it, huh? Their
2: pitching looks bad. The yeah. Last now and Snell have both been awful.
1: Snell has only pitched like he's on such a a short leash right now. He's pitching like two innings per Yeah, I think their top start. two
2: pitchers, neither of them have gone
0: five innings. That's the Rays thing though. That's what you I'm know what you're getting when, when you get the right. Yeah.
1: As the fantasy owner of Blake Snell, I don't love it. Um, but I'm still taking them. And then I will uh, also take, I'm going to take the Braves. Yeah. That's oh.
0: a good pick, Sarah. Am, that makes me mad. My
1: team is so that good right now. Mad. I am loving yeah. my they, team. They've
2: had some major pitching injury problems
1: that's yes that is true I mean obviously sir, losing Soroka is huge and but, they also DFA'd you
0: know. two of their uh rotation members already right with Fulton Evich and um a uh, Newcomb yeah
1: yeah that I guess is- Newcomb I got optioned
0: to their uh their their farm whatever that's called reserve roster but it's not good for him
1: yeah. but they they haven't been healthy yet on their offense either. So I do I I see the upside. Got to get Albies so back as it. a
0: fantasy owner of Albies. Yeah. I feel that pain. Yeah. Okay, so it's my turn again, right? You made your sandwich?
1: I did. I made my sandwich and I'm eating it.
0: No. Uh, okay. Um, I am going to take... Ooh, this is tough because this is another one between a team that has gotten off to a good start versus one that our model liked in the preseason. I'm going to take the Cincinnati Reds. I like them. Trevor Ooh. Bauer, uh, you know, they've got some some good hitting. I like them. All
2: right. All right. Okay. Not bad. Um, no, I say bad. I think that's a good You don't word.
0: like that? Though, right? no. <laughs> I'm trying to be less chalky here. You know, I'm very self-conscious about no, my chalk.
2: That's true. That's true. I, I like that you're doing that.
1: I mean, also that is crap. They were there's only one other team left on the board that has a higher World Series chance in our model, so that's still pretty chalky.
2: I'm taking the Chicago
1: Cubs. Yeah, that's that's who I thought Neil was going to take.
2: They're ten and three. <laughs> I, still don't it's know early. The, I still don't know about the pitching, but I don't know. I mean, I I'm always surprised when kyle hendricks throws a good game um apparently he's just <laughs> kyle good hendricks is he's surprised really
1: good
2: i don't hendricks know why hey I, I just don't <laughs> feel like he's not good but i guess he is all right who does that leave for me now we're getting into the i don't like any of these teams i i okay all right i'm gonna stay in the national league I, i'm gonna ride the hot start and and take the Rockies. Ooh, well, nice. I, now I have all of NL West. I don't like the way this draft is going, but I, I already <laughs> said it. I mean, what am I doing?
1: Well, every time we do a draft, this is how it ends up with Jeff saying, what is even, what am I doing? I love What it. am
2: I doing? Just give me the Diamondbacks also, I guess. And the Ooh, you want you the don't Giants? want that. Yeah, you don't want either of that. <laughs> no, Although, Mike is
0: off to a great start. Love that. Yeah,
2: yes. yes. This
0: will be the it's only 29-year-old. time we talk about the Giants this whole draft uh i'm gonna take the chicago white Sox. i'm gonna take a flyer Ah. on them i think they're still that's who i was thinking yeah they're an exciting team i liked the reds i guess this part got cut from the podcast but when uh, a couple weeks ago but when we were previewing the season i made a non-chalk my non-chalky world series was reds versus white Sox. so i'm taking both of those teams why not
1: um okay this is getting tricky now um Hmm. Hmm, 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 hmm who's yeah, even I can't left
2: believe I took the Rockies I'm still that, not over it
1: that's amazing you didn't have to you know um wow I can't I'm not no I can't take the Mets I'm sorry I'm not taking the Mets um <laughs> I,
0: <laughs> the Mets are radioactive I was like oh should I take the Mets
1: no I'm not taking the Mets you know we're at the point where it doesn't really matter so <laughs> I'm going matter. to take doesn't I'm gonna matter. take I'm gonna take the Brewers that's a good take. I like the brewers and then i ugh, i don't know what are we down to here i'm gonna take the angels oh, because, that's a good pick because I, that.
2: I, I was hoping for that i was hoping you would take something else neil would take the mets and i would get mike trout who had two homer runs. yeah
1: papa yeah. trout i uh I think it's possible that MLB changes the rules again just to get trout into the postseason. So I feel like that's the that's my value pick. also, i i' I am in love with the angels right now. did you see did you guys see the play from um Joe Adele, their outfielder who accidentally who uh, tried to catch a ball, missed it. The ball popped out of his glove and over the fence for a four base error. It was not a home run. It was not awarded as a home run because it n- would not have been a home run. Um, but it, it went over the fence for a four base error, which has got to be one of the first times that's ever happened.
0: All right. So this is my this is back to me. Um, I'm in Pennsylvania, so I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to go with the Phillies. The Phillies <laughs> have a great, Phillies. Phillies have like a great writing, home what? field advantage because there's a group of ridiculous diehards that stand outside of the stadium and blow air horns and boo. All game long. Uh, And I heard it last night. uh, Obviously, I'm not in Philly right now. But I heard it on the broadcast after the Phillies were trying to come. They they were ahead 13-1 to going into the ninth inning. And then they proceeded to give up like eight straight runs. And it seemed like they might be in danger of blowing a 13-1 to ninth inning lead, which I think would have been an all-time record. Um, And then they closed it out. But I heard those boos and I heard the air horns. And I was like, you know what? They're one of the few teams that will have some fan, you know, influence on the game so far this year. So go Phillies.
1: Yeah. All right. Who you got,
2: Jeff? Is this my last pick? Okay. And then I will take. I'm just gonna take the 1986 World Series as a package deal. Oh, okay. Give me the Mets. Give me the Mets. Someone has to do it. They're the highest on the 538 model remaining, I think. And um And the Red Sox, who are both teams, let's be honest, they look bad, real bad. (laughs) Uh, Beyond Jacob deGrom, (laughs) there's no other starting pitchers on those two teams, apparently.
0: Um, (laughs) That is accurate. So,
2: well, so maybe they can turn it around. Maybe some of their, uh, you know. Maybe some of these starters uh, turn it around like Steven Matz or I don't know. They're, they're bad
0: picks. We're late in the draft.
1: Yeah, we're late in the draft. taking a it's flyer fine. on
0: on teams at this point. Okay, so now I – God. I kind of want to take this, <laughs> this one team, but they also haven't played in two weeks and still have an ongoing COVID-19 outbreak in their roster. I you know just don't know how to feel about it, but – They're a good team on paper. I have Jack Flaherty on my fantasy team. So I'm going to take the Cardinals. I'm going to take a team. Maybe I'm buying low on them. I'm buying low on a team that has an active coronavirus outbreak.
1: No, I I will admit I was going to take them with this pick. I I feel like that's a good pick because you have no idea how they're going to be and whether they're going to get enough games. Seven games inning games the number that they're gonna play that interest that introduces a whole other like realm of volatility here so um i'm gonna take uh i'm gonna ruin jeff's uh nl west monopoly and i'm gonna take the diamondbacks um they have at least some they have a one percent chance of winning so you know whatever uh, yeah, we will revisit this throughout the season and make fun of each other's picks as as one does. All right. We will leave this here for now. We will be back in a moment for our rabbit hole of the week. But first, Hot Takedown is brought to you this week by Alberts. Stress has been at an all time high this summer, which has made it important to find little things that make you feel more at ease and to find bigger ways to be of service to others. Coming together to protect the things we care about, including the planet we all share, is why Allbirds is on a mission to leave the planet in better shape than we found it. Allbirds makes shoes from premium natural materials. Their products aren't just comfy and purposefully designed, but carbon neutral as well, thanks to sustainable practices like offsetting their carbon emissions. Allbirds is also a B Corporation, making the environment a stakeholder in their business. Allbirds knows we can create a more sustainable future, but only if we hold ourselves accountable. Their hope is that one day soon, shoppers will compare carbon numbers at the mall like they do nutritional labels in grocery aisles. That's exactly why Allbirds measures the carbon footprint of all its products and lists it on every pair of shoes, socks, and undies, so you can make an informed decision about what kind of footprint you're leaving on the planet. I love both my pairs of Allbirds shoes. They're stylish, even when there's no one to appreciate the fun colors other than my cats. And they're comfy and light, even when I am trying to stay active. With Allbirds, feel confident knowing you're wearing a product that's doing right by your feet and the planet. Learn more about their sustainable practices and find your pair at allbirds.com today. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of these descents the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. This week, we are delighted to be joined by 538's own NFL analyst, Josh Hermsmeyer. Hi, Josh. How's it going?
5: Hey, sir. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, it's so great to talk to you about this extremely fun story. Uh, so, you wrote a fantastic piece that's up on the site right now that tries to answer the question of what makes A receiver an elite player in their own right as opposed to just having an elite quarterback you came up with a new metric to try to separate so to speak great receivers from good receivers who happen to be in a great offense tell us about this metric
5: so it's a uh, separation over expected and, and in football, obviously, you know, getting open something we all kind of understand uh, from watching the game or playing in the backyard. And, and the first thing you learn when you line up across from a defender is that you gotta, gotta run some kind of route that gets you uh, uh, far enough away from that other guy so that you girl so that you can get the ball thrown to you and, and make some yards. And so it's a really intuitive thing, but we haven't had a good way to measure it for years and years and years until um next gen stats came up with some player tracking data the chips and the helmets and the shoulder pads and the ball and stuff and and so i used all that along with uh some other data about the quarterback and, and the rest of the the defense um to try and get an understanding of what the average separation on a, on a on a normal play given a bunch of different variables might be and then graded each player uh by that by that system and and what we came up with was this this list of players at, at different depths that um, were able to uh, appear separate more consistently than uh, their peers, um, and and I think it's interesting because it allows us to see how certain players win, and and there's a lot of interesting things to say about it, whether it's a a measure of how good the player is or if it's just a measure of like how they are good, right?
0: Well, Josh, so what are the what were the factors that you found that were the most important predictors of separation uh, between a receiver and a defender in your uh, research? I think the most
5: important factor, and uh, I did a feature analysis that kind of ranks them, but, but uh, the most important is depth, like how far away from the quarterback you are and how, how far the pass needs to go. Um, and that makes intuitive sense because, you know, if you're throwing – a ball, you know, 20 yards rather than 10, um, you know, there's more time in the air for the ball to travel so the defender uh, can get closer to the ball. And another important point here, and, and since this is the rabbit hole, I will go into the weeds. Um, <laughs> Please, we're me- Please we're, do. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're measuring separation at the point ball arrives rather than the point at which the quarterback targets the receiver. And so, like, what does that mean? Well, that means that already he's done enough that the quarterback thinks he's a good target, right? So now we're kind of setting aside this whole question of, was it a good route? It was a good route, right? It was good enough to get a target. So all these players and all these plays that we've looked at, we're already selecting for these good players and good good plays. Um, so it's really just understanding what happened after that moment. So the ball is thrown, and then how far the ball goes, how fast the ball is thrown, um, how close – The defender was at the moment that that throw occurred, all were the most important things. And I think, in fact, it was that separation variable right before the right at the pass um, that was the most important. And that that obviously makes a lot of sense.
1: So which receivers did outperform the model?
5: Yeah, so it was really interesting um, at at like I'll talk about it. We, We broke it up into like short throws and intermediate throws and long throws. But I think the the most interesting throws, the ones that kind of fit my priors at least um, when I looked at the lists, were the intermediate throws. And these seem to be the players like Keenan Allen or Devontae Adams, um, players that are just technicians on the field who just really every every time you watch them play, you see them uh, making a defender uh, make a wrong move, flip their hips the wrong way. You know, they seem to just be able to create open uh, open looks for their quarterbacks and they they top the list their entire seasons um, top the lists and they seem to do it rather consistently this isn't a hugely stable metric it's um but it is far as as far as football metrics go um it, it's reasonable it's pretty good um and so we if you are good at creating separation on those tough intermediate routes things like digs and outs and posts uh deep slants uh those kind of routes where you have to navigate a couple levels of defenders um, and you're good at doing that you tend to stay good and but on the other end of the of of the of the tale the story is like Julio Jones a guy that no one would uh, accuse of being a poor wide receiver that lacks in talent in any way but he doesn't appear to be a guy who separates uh, at any level um, from his defenders and so this is where you start talking about the proper use of the metric. And I, again, I don't think it's to say a guy is good or bad. I just think it's to say it's how he wins. Like Julio Jones goes out there, he'll box a defender out, still earn a target because he's got a big old body and he's still, he's still fast. He's probably got a lot of guys around him and he has low separation because he's so good because the, uh, the defense is concerned with him. And so he still earns a target. He still makes a catch and, uh, despite uh, not having a lot of separation
0: yeah, I thought that was interesting with Julio um because we think of him as being like a really physical receiver. and maybe being physical lowers your separation. But that's like a good thing if you're strong enough to kind of fight off the defenders and and still make the play,
5: yeah, it's interesting. So I think it I think it can be a, a signal of 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 age at some time. like so larry fitzgerald and and uh, Kelvin Benjamin on deep on deeper routes, um, had low separation. Uh, Robbie Anderson, a guy who just got very little um, interest in the free agent market this past year, he he had low separation on deep routes. So I think it can be an indicator of a guy who perhaps was good and now has kind of lost a step, maybe doesn't have that that track speed he once had. Um, but by and large, I think uh, care needs to be taken when, when using the metric uh, for things like that. It's just not... These guys are good and these guys are bad. Well, it's
1: kind of – it speaks to how there are so many things at play going on in in an NFL game, in a, in a football play at any given time, that, like, teasing out different ways to look at it is still going to just be one piece of the picture. It's a tool in the toolbox, but it's not necessarily everything about – there's not, like, one panacea, you know, metric yeah. out there. <laughs>
5: No, it'd be so great, and we we talk a lot about what the skeleton key might be for football to really kind of unlock things and and give us a, a really good frame for understanding the game. And um you know, we're still picking at it. I think I think there's a long way to go, and I don't know we'll get there. Uh, but uh, you know, football is is a lot of different moving parts, and it's the ultimate team game, all these things. um, so it's it's tough. um, it's tough to do, but I do think that this metric, it, it's this is probably its worst application like at the player level i think it i mean I, I but i really wanted to see if it could be done but i do think it holds a lot of promise for uh for for one particular way of looking at players and that's that if you have a quarterback right who, who doesn't throw with good anticipation or or perhaps is inaccurate um then maybe you want these types of players right that even though like as I said everyone on this list may be good quote unquote you may want guys that give the quarterback really open looks if he's inaccurate and he can't throw with anticipation, the things that create uh, value on those low separation targets, which is trust in your receiver, being able to throw ahead of him, being open, stuff like that. But if you have a guy like Josh Allen, who doesn't have those traits, but has a rocket arm, see the guy open, throw the guy, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe you want those guys that get real open. And so from a, from a team building standpoint, I think it does have some utility for for that kind of thing
1: it seems very frustrating you know because we do want to be able to unlock it all but it was also I, I find it really exciting that there are like there are there are worlds here we can explore and you know things you can dig into to find some insight like you have with this model um that's really fun and and very cool and just another step on our way to understanding football better
5: yeah, I mean, that's the hope to try and, well, at least for me, what motivated me was Michael Thomas. Uh, he's kind of the frame of the article. And people had been saying all offseason, like, oh, you know, Michael Thomas, you know, yeah, he's got all those yards and, and you know, he makes all those catches, but he plays with Drew Brees and, and they have a great line and he runs mostly slants. And and I think, you know, if, if going into this, I didn't really know if that was true, but going into this, if I found, like, he wasn't really creating separation and, like, after you adjusted for play type, he was just kind of meh um, because one of the things I found was like, you know, there are types of plays like play action that just create separation for everyone. Like it doesn't matter if you're good or bad. You're, you're going to be more open just because they call play action um, and the defense responded. And so but I didn't find that. I found Mike Thomas was actually pretty good uh, everywhere. Uh, and that's what you Tend to tend to see in in elite wide receivers, they'll be targeted all over the field and they'll be good all over the field. And he is. And so I don't know what uh, what's motivating um, that kind of critique of Mike Thomas. I mean, it's it seems pretty it seems pretty obvious just looking at the numbers. And then when you look at a little deeper, it just remains obvious. So I think I think it's pretty clear he's one of the top receivers in the league.
1: Yeah, I did love our subhead on your story, which was lay off Michael Thomas haters. Um, (laughs) Take that. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Josh. This is such a fascinating um, look into really deep stuff in the NFL, which I just I think is so much fun. and, And there's so much more we can learn. And and I look forward to continuing to learn more about it. Thanks, guys. All right, that will do it for this week's show. We will be back in your feed next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And if you are subscribed, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We love hearing from you and it helps new people discover the show. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room and our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. For Neil, Jeff, and Josh, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening and talk to you next time.